Every company has breakdowns in their revenue process. Sure thing deals slip into next quarter, competitors creep in and swipe deals away at the last minute, and deals getting single threaded that don't get to power. These are just a few examples of revenue leak, but there are a ton more, and they're preventing your team from reaching their sales targets. That's why I'm such a big fan of Clary's revenue platform. It's the only tool that actually helps leaders take control of their revenue and thrive through any market conditions, especially when things get tough. You can't afford to miss a single detail, but you also can't be leading by gut. Clary combines the science and the art of sales and sales leadership. So go to Clary.com if you want to answer the most important question in your business. Are you going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue? Welcome to the Live Better, Sell Better podcast with your host, Kevin Dorsey of Inside Sales Excellence, the number one Patreon group and YouTube channel for tech sellers and tech sales leaders, where we dive in deep for tactical advice on how to book more meetings, close more deals faster, and lead sales teams to success. But we don't stop there. We also focus on the person in salesperson. We talk about mindset, goals, time management, and so much more. So thank you for listening. And if you're interested, head on over to patreon.com slash inside sales excellence. Now with that, grab a notepad, get ready, and let's dive into the good stuff. Yeah, maybe because um, I feel like I can vibe on this. This is yeah. a good topic. Yeah, well, because it, it is though. Like, so we'll take this back of like people not taking their careers seriously. Like, this is your career, and especially in sales, quite literally, you can get in with no degree. You can get in with no certification and you can be making 150, 200 K within four years. If you just took it serious, I'd say you less, know, right? Like, like the sure. people who really take it seriously could be there in a year and a half. 100% at the right company, or you just get the right skill set. But it is to what you were mentioning, like the attention to detail, the, the seriousness of like, wait, this is my job. Like, but you know, I'll show up late or I will not dress up for an interview or I won't send a thank you note afterwards, which again, they're not big deals, but like, come on, like hold yourself to a higher standard here. It's insane. I have, I'm curious if you notice this because you deal with a lot of entry level too, right? So mm -hmm. I've always noticed that that's more common with the people that are coming right out of school. They kind of need like a year, maybe two, and some people even longer to just mature into the real world. And I feel that some of them uh, come out with a sense of entitlement, right? And they come into their job. And I don't know if this is still going on in the COVID times. I'm not really hiring in the masses right now. I'm doing a little bit for a client. But, you know, it's, you get a different perspective. You have that perspective now. So I'm wondering if it's changed. Like, I've always noticed the people straight out of school are obviously going to be more immature. They're going to feel more entitled. But not everyone, right? Not everyone. But it almost takes them a couple years to grasp on. And sometimes it takes them getting fired to realize, oh, wow, like, that, like, this isn't here for me, right? Like, I'm here for the company, right? That's the, the business does not exist to provide a service to me, to employ me. And I think that people get that backwards often when they're coming out of school and they're doing this. And, you know, maybe they've been a little privileged in their life. They haven't had to really fend for themselves. And now all of a sudden you come into this place of employment who, A, marketed themselves to promise you all of these things. They make it sound like it's this great place. And I actually think maybe we need to be a little more cautious with overpromising too. But then, especially for the kids coming straight out of school, because they come in with these big expectations that like we are here to serve them. And sure, to some capacity, we are if we want to develop them. But that's not really the reason all of us are here. The reason we're here is to build a business, right? And so, and it's I, not I, yeah. taught. First of all, it's not taught. And what's interesting, I really want your thoughts on this, right? Too is because a lot this the generation coming up right now has not been preached the 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 same ideal around like work ethic or work the way that we were and our parents were. There is more talk around fulfillment and passion and things of that nature and these ideas of like and fairness fair fairness equality like and all these things where it's like that's not actually the world that we 
live right. in. Right. And it's this interesting dynamic. And actually, um, so at, <laughs> at Snack Nation, let's bring it way back, Sean Kelly, the CEO there, you know, we agreed on a lot of things. There's one area where we would consistently butt heads, which is around this idea of like, you know, you have, you know, follow your passion or like, you know, you know, be passionate about what you do. And I was like, we can't keep preaching that because like no one's passionate about making cold calls. Nobody. (laughs) And so, so the more times we put that in front of them, what they do is they're not looking at the overall theme of, am I passionate about sales? And if I'm passionate about sales, yes, cold calling is part of it. They look at the actual individual tasks and say, am I passionate about this thing? Like, well, this doesn't, cold calling doesn't fulfill me. So maybe I shouldn't be in sales. Yeah, that's such a huge point. I had a video on this topic slightly the other day where I was talking about um, you get asked this question in an interview, why do you want to be in sales, right? And the number one thing I want to hear, and sounds like maybe you agree with me, but uh, I want to hear that you want to make a lot of money. And I don't like when people are scared to say that. And they say things like, I really love helping people. And I really love building relationships. It's like, shut up. If you love that, go volunteer at a soup kitchen. Go, go. You can do a million other things that will fulfill you way more than interrupting people's days, trying to persuade them, trying to get them to see things through new light. Like, sure, there is an, a level of helping people in sales. Sure. It is not the overarching umbrella of what you are feeling every day. And I've actually, so those are actually red flag words for me now in the interview process for my sales teams. And, and before people listening to this go, oh my God, like, all right, calm down, everybody. Listen to what we're about to talk to here. And by the way, that's why I started making videos because I realized it's so much easier to get that point across than typing it. Because I type, oh. you know, I type oh. stuff on LinkedIn and I get heat for it. And like, I realized it's like people don't always know my personality. And if I say it on a video, it comes out different. And so the people are reacting a little bit more in the line with, uh, you know, where my head was at. Yes. And that's, that's why I want to explain it here too, because people will take it and run with it and say, Oh, listen to Katie and Colin, like whatever. It's like, no, hear hear what we're saying. here. If you are actually passionate about relationships, no matter what people actually want to say, for the most part, that's not how the sales industry is built anymore. You don't get to build long lasting relationships. In not in SaaS. Not in right, SaaS. Not in, not in you get into If you get into ad sales or something, you know, my brother-in-law's ad, entire too. career is built on his relationships with Coca-Cola, with Old Spice, but not in SaaS. You're not going to do not, that in SaaS. Not in SaaS. And also too, like that's, it's not, that's not even how the new jobs are going, right? So like the relationship sellers of old, even at the Coke, UPS, um, some of these other firms, like that's not what they're being replaced with. Right? Yeah, I and think the, it's it, only ad sales. That's the only place I see that happening right now. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's just a tight community of people right. giving money to each other. Basically. So, so when an SDR tells me they, they want to get in sales because of relationships, I already know they are going to be miserable because they are not going to be building any relationships as Let an SDR. Let me ask you this. I'm going to challenge you a little bit because yeah. I agree with you. But I think here's the problem with simplifying it that much in the interview process is I actually think that what they said may not even be the truth. They just thought you wanted to hear it. They thought you wanted to hear someone who wants to build relationships. They thought you wanted to hear someone who wants to help people. And they don't realize like, I would rather you come in like a greedy, energetic bastard and say, you want to get rich. I would rather you say that. So I challenge the, well, we can talk the money side of it as well, though. I will challenge them. If someone says that's why they want to get in relationships, right? Or helping people. It's like, okay, do you understand what this actually means though? What does relationship mean to you? Right? Because if relationship is a long lasting connection with an individual, then I will, I'll explain to them. That's not really what this is. Have you thought this through, right? Helping people. I want to help people. Okay. Now, are you willing to suffer to help? Are you willing to suffer to help? Right. Are you or willing you, to help people that don't even realize at first that you're helping right. them? Are you willing to, you know, when you really want to help someone, you almost put your own self in harm's way in order to help them, right? Yeah. If you can only help someone when you feel good or when they're being nice to you, that's very different. And so what I'm looking for in terms of why sales money is one, but we also know money doesn't actually motivate most people. We can go down this rabbit hole for a second. Yeah, it's of course, but, it's the domino effect of what the right. money can bring you. Yes. Right. But the, if the answers are the challenge 
the excitement, the novelty, something new. Those are answers that I'm looking for there of like, because that is what it is day to day, daily challenges, the excitement, those flashes in the pan, right? And that's why like, that's why I would say as much as people I think are trying to push away from, I forget who posted this the other day, but you know, this concept of like, we're trying to change what the, what the ideal candidate is, right? We're almost trying to change what that looks like. And, you know, you, and some of this sentiment, I don't want to say is all bad, but you know, there's, there's the sentiment of get, don't say words like crush it or rock star or this or that. And, you know, it could be put off to females or to this. And, and I get all of that. It's probably truth to that. But I also think that if we fluff it up too much, you're really just attracting the complete wrong people for the industry. Because at the end of the day, like, a lot of those old school recruiting tactics, like we're looking for people who are competitive, people who uh, are athletic or that that stuff really works. Like it actually does attract the people who have the traits for sales. Now, that being said, I think it also excludes a lot of people who probably also have those traits. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. But it's about finding that that right balance, I think, there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. So this is where I can challenge back because I don't know that it does work. Right. If we look at the sales industry as as a whole, and we can talk SaaS or we can go outside of SaaS, there's sure. or, you know there's carryover between the two. Right. We're talking about an industry where you know less than sixty percent of people actually get to their goal. Right. You've led hundreds of reps. Right. You've led hundreds of reps. I have led hundreds of reps, and you've looked for those profiles. Yeah. How often do you actually see it carry over into the best? So this is where I go off on sales a bit. Yeah. The the best tend to fit a type of action, right? Where like the best that are at the top, they are hyper competitive, right? The best are hyper competitive. The majority and the rest are not. They think they are, but yes. they're not. Yes. The they best, want it. They want it, but they're not willing. Right. They're not willing. The best tend to be very money driven, right? We're talking about the top 10%. It's the rest that aren't. And it's like, we're, we're chasing this profile. Like we're always chasing the, the Kobe's and the MJ's and the Jeter's we're chasing right. these, but that's not how the majority actually are. Right. Correct. I've hired plenty of athletes. who think they were competitive. They're not competitive. They just like to win big difference. Hired yeah. hundreds of reps that say money is their biggest factor, but you got to pull fucking teeth to get them to yeah. do it. I agree with so you. Like, I don't understand I don't the know. why. Yeah. Like I don't understand so like some of these, some of these profiles that we look for, right is something that's also too with some of these reps that like to win or used to winning is actually why they don't do well in sales often because they don't get the daily wins and recognitions that's a great point yeah it might be a good question to ask you know uh were, were you undefeated in high school or in college or you know were you, were you the so underdog you, yeah. who came so up you to said the top, earlier, right, right you yeah. said earlier this idea of entitlement right and there are yeah. those people that and by the way it's not their fault it's what they've been preached to do but they've been practically perfect yeah yeah four point well, I mean, everyone gets a trophy now right? right like it wasn't like that when i was a kid if you lost oh, God, you no. lost and i went home and my dad was in, uh, upset with me yeah, <laughs> you know absolutely and it wasn't like, like good job anyway son it was like you know you could have done better on defense you could have done and like that's life to mm-hmm. me right because that's yeah. what the real world's going to do to you when you get out there 100 percent. that's what makes recognition so much trickier now is like you know, how you recognize people and when you yeah. recognize people. And well, you can't not recognize everybody, but well, but at the same time, it's not even, it's not all the same, you know, and I can't, those things oh, out getting recognition right is really hard, man. I, I, I've always erred on the side of trying to be very fair with it. So I always made a point as a VP of sales. And I learned this lesson probably early on, I probably made some mistakes to get there, but made a point like to, to always be calculated about any recognition I gave to people, particularly publicly, like to try not to just do it on the fly and to actually think about it. Um, and the reason for that was you want to make sure you don't give someone a shout out this week for something. And next week, someone else did the same thing and you didn't shout them out and you didn't notice it. That is the most frustrating thing for a rep when they see someone get a ton of accolades and then they go work their ass off to do the same thing and no one notices it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I've always found with, with the, you have to be very careful, especially as the teams get big. It's very hard for VP to keep tabs on all of that stuff. And sometimes we hear about some cool win and we want to shout it out in a Monday meeting. Meanwhile, we're insulting the 10 other people who did the same thing and you know they didn't know. And so I'm a, I'm a huge fan. So I'm a, I'm a one-off recognizer. So like I very rarely do like shout outs in Slack to the team or shout outs like on an individual level in the team meetings. My managers do that. 
I'm yep. a, I'm a one-off. So like in my one-on-ones, like my managers do report up, I want to know wins of their team at an individual level. What were some yep. wins from your individuals on your teams? And then throughout that week or month, I'll hit the individual up. Hey, dude, I just heard this. Like, yo, yeah. great that work. stuff goes a long and, way. And I put it there because one, like I want to make sure like, that they feel like that directness. But also to your other point, if I do it one week for someone publicly and then miss the next week, yep, it all gets blown up. And then it's, it's a great like, point to, to let the managers help cue you in on that stuff. I used to do the same for my CEO. I used to ping him, you know, maybe once a month, I'd say, hey, so-and-so did this this month, you know, next time you walk by their desk, can you, can you mm-hmm. mention it? And you have a CEO does that once a month around the team. Like that makes a big difference. Yeah. So one of the things I love to do, um, you know, cause you've taken over a couple of big teams now too, like, cause there's also a big difference between growing your own team and taking over like a, a team and trying to get to know people quickly. When I came into to patient pop, right. And like, you know, took on this team. One of the things I did is I sat down with every single rep. I did a, I did a one-on-one with every rep, SDR, AE field, Same. literally every rep. And then I asked them a set of questions to try to get to understand like what motivated them. Right. Cause when you ask people like what motivates them, most, most sales reps will say money and they're like, yeah, all right, cool. Right. Cool you have story. to dig 10 layers deeper. Right. Yeah. It's but about asking I, why. But right. one of my favorite questions to ask was around recognition. Right. So I had these few questions I'd ask, like, how do you like to be recognized public or in private? And so I went through this series of either ors, right? Because if you make it too broad, people don't know. It's like, okay, would you rather be recognized in public or in private? Cause there are some people that are getting embarrassed when Can you, you call them both. Off. I think I like both. You got to pick one, but you'll see where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm narrowing them down. I need them to pick one, right? Public or private. Say, okay, public. Do you like to be recognized amongst your peers or amongst leadership? Would you rather me say, hey, SDRs, look what this SDR did? Or, hey, you know, managers, look what this SDR did. Do you want yeah. to be yeah. peers or leadership, right? Team or executive. Would you rather be recognized amongst your team? Or would you rather me say, hey, you know, Luke, Travis, right? The CEO example, like, eh, Betty's just killing it right now. Yeah. Experience or cash? Would you rather me say, hey, here's $300 for you to spend taking your significant other out tonight. I'm going to call the restaurant and take care of it. Or here's a $300 gift card. And then cash or tangible. Here's $300 or here's an Apple watch worth $300. And I would ask them these series of questions to get a feel for like, okay, how does this individual actually like to be recognized? And then I'd keep that noted. Right. And then I do, I I encourage my managers to do this when they get new hires and things like that. I'd like to understand these things because it is very different. Like some people love that public shout out. I was not a public shout out people. You texting me and going like, yo dude, good shit would mean way more than you saying something in front of the whole org you know, for me around it. Whereas other people, they need it. They're like, why, why wasn't my face on the screen? Yeah, I found, and it's, it's something I've never been necessarily comfortable answering if someone asked me. That's why I'm curious if you think people are, are always honest with that. Cause I don't know that people even know the answer right off the bat, right? Like, have you ever thought of how you like to be, you know, uh, uh, acknowledged or recognized? I don't know. Everyone's really thought of that. And, you know, there's definitely been times in my career where bosses have asked me that earlier and I'm just, oh, I don't need that. I don't need that. But really, you know, it's bullshit. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's no way you don't feel good getting a compliment, um, regardless of the forum, right? And maybe one's better than the other. But uh, yeah, I find that sometimes the best performers try to brush it off like they don't care about that stuff. I always mm-hmm. just assume that they do because I do, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And that, that's why I like to ask the question where it's, there's not a something like, do you like recognition? Right? I'm not asking that question. Because you right? know, they, of course. You know. I know I know that you do. That's what I'm saying. Hey, if you had to pick between either one of these. And that what's generally why I think it works well is it is a pretty black and white thing. If you think about which one makes you happier. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess it would be this one. All right, cool. Now, does that mean I never do the opposite? Does that mean I would never publicly shout someone out? Of course not. Does that course, mean I'll yeah. only, but like, it gives me that frame of reference to say like, okay, like I got a pulse on this. Um, now I wanted to make a, a shift here on, on terms of another topic, right? Cause you know, I've riffed on this in the past before around prospecting a bit, right? Because like, you know, I was, I'm a, I'm a prospector for the rest of my life. I know you are a prospector for the rest of your life. And it's something we, you know, we talk about publicly a lot too. Like what are some of the things that you're noticing or seeing right now when it comes to prospecting that either one SDR should be doing more of, or, you know, SDR should be doing less of, and actually not only just say SDRs, 
prospectors, right? Because yeah. there's plenty of AEs out there that are still prospecting now too, which props to all those people because hey, you should never stop prospecting. But like, what are you yes. hearing and seeing out there? Yeah. So I, I think what I'm seeing from a high level is just an abundance of overuse and misuse of automation. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the high level, um, probably a umbrella or, or trigger rather. You know, that's the first domino, I would say. That's like tipping everything over. And so I, I think it goes back. It goes back, you know, a good 10, 15 years. And so I started this whole public debate or, or, or uh, campaign, you could say, maybe a couple of years ago about like uh, uh, Aaron Ross, predictable revenue. Sorry, that like that whole model is kind of dying down. And it's not that he did something wrong. It's not that it's a flawed model. And I talked to him about this, right, live on a, on a podcast. And what I think has happened is that the, the, the model that he essentially designed, right, and whether you want to credit that to him or, or whoever, at that time period, that era is when this whole model came about. And then you have companies like Sales Loft and Outreach that come in to make that uh, a bit more automated and make it easier, right? And so then everyone starts doing it. It becomes the de facto. It becomes the default for every startup. And there's no question that there's just an, there's too much of it now. There's too much noise. There's too much similarity. Everyone's following the same cadences. Everyone's kind of saying the same things. There's a, hey, here's who I am. Here's what my company does. Here's my calendar link. Like, it's just like, it's not anywhere near as effective as it may have been 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, right? And so, and then there's digital that has changed. Uh, there's social that has just continued to change drastically. And so you have all these different ways to make contact with people. And so, you know, the high level of my playbook and everything that I'm putting together is to really summarize, A, all the things that I think have changed, all the things that I think need to continue to change, and what you could do to kind of stay 10, 15 steps ahead of that, right? And so a lot of it is the foundation of that is playing the long game. It's, it's actually backing a little bit away from automation and getting a little bit more, more personal with things. Uh, and it's really leveraging social. Um, mm-hmm. Video is a piece of it as well, which I have a lot of stuff that'll be in there. Um, you know, it's about new ideas, things that people are not doing yet. And I think the, the salespeople that you are going to see win over the next five, 10 years, they're going to be the salespeople that really start to understand how to use technology. Um, we're working from our houses, right? And little details as small as like my camera setup, my lighting, my audio, all of that stuff is now playing a role in your presentation, right? And even though it probably was in the office, we were presenting over Zoom, for some reason, we didn't talk much about it. But, you know, then we all work from home and the presentation got 10 times worse. And, you know, so it's just all of these things are modern selling. That is the life of a modern seller is starting to think about these different things and, and how you're going to put those pieces together. Uh, and I don't think that the answer of it, uh, the answer to it for the next 10 years is just continuing to repeat that sales loft playbook or anything. And no, 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 no shine on, uh, you know, I love sales loft. I love all those guys, but uh, we got to change it up. We're doing too many people doing the same thing. Bottom line. I, I remember when, so first I was funny enough, I was at the first and second Rainmaker. And I remember when sales loft announced, you know, cadence, right? Because a lot of people don't remember, like their originals was prospect. It was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> Getting emails and stuff off of LinkedIn. It was awesome. But then of course, LinkedIn didn't like it that much. And they rolled that out. I was like, this is amazing, right? And it was, and it was so cool. And it was about a year and a half or two years later, where it's the first time you could automate a step. And I remember the first time that I got rolled out, I was like, oh no. Oh no. Like, I know everyone's super pumped on this, but oh no, I know what this is going to do, right? And now it is. It's going to be fun for two years and then it's mm-hmm. going to hit the fan. Yeah. I mean, I, I tell my own reps all the time, it's like, if it was easy, if it was as easy as sending an automated templated email, guess what I wouldn't need? <laughs> you. <laughs> I wouldn't need salespeople. If all yeah. it took was a templated automated email to book appointments, I wouldn't need a salesperson. It's marketing. Right? It's marketing. Like, so now, so let's take this here. Like, what does the salesperson bring to this tool, right? Because a fool with a tool is still a fool. So they have all these tools. How should they be bringing that person element into it? Yeah. So I'm not automating. What should I be doing? So, well, there's a lot and there's not one answer to that, but I'll, I'll give you a high level, right? And then the details, we can maybe pick some and dive into them. But I think it starts with 
A, we got to back up and build the right relationship with marketing because that's going to play into this. If you want to be a modern prospect or a modern seller and really be effective, you have to be able to leverage the resources in your company. So problem number one, I don't know if it's number one, I'm giving a, an order right now that I'm making up on the spot, but problem yeah. number one, right, is that if we want to be modern sellers, we have to be able to leverage what we're getting from marketing. And there's too many companies, those teams are just operating in silos. You're not doing that, right? And there's no strategy to work together. But if I have a list of, let's say I have 100 top tier accounts that I want to get, right? These are my best accounts in my territory or whatever. I've got 100, okay? Now, what I could do is I could do a little bit of research, go into Zoom Info, grab a couple names and contact infos, pop it into my template and click play, right? Or click start and, uh, you know, wait and see what happens. Or I can say, all right, I've got this list. I'm not going to even reach out to them yet. I'm going to learn a lot about them. I'm going to strategize with marketing and I'm going to focus for the next 90 days or 30 days, whatever, right? Figure out what works for your process on creating awareness, subconscious awareness on getting folks in that company, whether they're my targets or people who may work on their team. I want to create subconscious awareness about my brand before I even try to make contact with the hope that when I do hit their inbox, they at least recognize my face, my headshot, my company, my logo, all of these things, right? And there's so many ways you can do that. It's not hard. It just requires patience and strategy. And can I jump, can I jump there real quick? I just sure. to yeah. use this word because also I know you get this and I get this, this patience. How should sales leaders be thinking about this though? Because everything you're saying there, yes, true, but that rep may not feel like they have the time. Because their leader is pressing on here. So like, speak, yeah. speak to us real quick. Speak to the other VPs out there real quick around yep. how they should be thinking about this with their own teams. I don't want to breeze over that because not enough of us think this way. Yes. Yeah. So if you want to, and, and I'm, again, I'm going to cover all this stuff in the playbook. So I'm glad you're validating the things I want to put in there now by asking those questions. I like that. Um, yes. So you need to have uh, a process that has patience right? If your process is patient, then you, your expectations can be patient. And so there's a transition that I think has to happen there. You can't just flip the switch overnight and, and go from playing the short game to playing the long game. You need to have a process for that change. And I would say, depending on your team size and structure, it's going to be different for everyone. Uh, the way that I would have done it at Aircall or whatever, right? And we were doing a bunch of this. You start with a test team. You take a few people, you say, you guys are doing this. I'm, uh, I'm going to pay your commission or whatever. There's some protection, whatever, however you want to set it up. Um, and you give them that freedom to play this long game. And I was fortunate to learn this process at a uh, single platform very early in my career. I was hired. The product was only for restaurants. And uh, about four months into it, the big challenge was we need to figure out how to sell this to all different SMBs. And I got to be a part of that test team. They called it the SWAT team. And, you know, they'd give you some protection on your commission. Uh, of course, there was a little bit of a gray area. It was like, if you're not actually working, like you're not getting right. shit. But if we know you tried and, and the, the test just failed, you're still paid. Uh, and so, I, we, you know, we proved out like 20 different verticals, um, which was so much fun. Some of them failed miserably. Try selling to landscapers, forget about it. Um, you know, but there were others that went really well. And so I forget where I was going with that, but that is uh, that you need to have a process that has patience. That's where I was going mm -hmm. with that. So if you design that, then you are putting the right type of pressure on your reps, not the wrong type that's going to be conflicting with what you're trying to achieve. And, you know, from a high level, anytime you're going to switch a strategy, uh, this requires taking a few steps back, I think, in order to take more forward. And you need to be okay with that at the end of the day. But I, I, I don't think you have a choice if you want to last the next 10 years. There we go. Like, I just thought that was a really important call out because it is like, and also being patient and giving protection to the reps. Like, I didn't know you were going to say that. And I think it's so important because I've done that. Like, I'll call it like a test, you know, a tester rep or a tester campaign. Like, yo, I'm going to pay you full OTE. Mm -hmm. Here are the behaviors I expect. Yeah. And the by the way, I'll give, you I'll give you 200% of your OTE if you blow this out of the fucking water. Right. It's like, do these behaviors, run this process. And if you run this process to the key, if, even, if, yeah. even if you don't sell a dime, even if you don't book a meeting, cool. Yeah. But if you do, like I said, the OTE is the OTE. Anything above it, yeah, go for it. Because otherwise, you never actually get to test. Because if you test something new for a rep or a team, but they don't know if it's going to work, they, you, you never get that. You, you cannot yeah. do that. You, you have to have special circumstances for those teams. You have to have enormous amount of incentive for them to make it work. Right. And it's not just like, hey, you're going to make 100% of your OT if this works. Like, 
look, I'm going to pay you 100% of your OT, even if this fails, because I know you're a rock star and you're going to do everything you can either way. That's why I picked you. You have to pick the right people for this. That's the first thing. And that doesn't mean pick all your best reps. In fact, don't do that. You want a good little mix of talent in there, right? (laughs) That's very important because otherwise you take your best rep who can do anything, right? They can sell anything. Uh, And then you try to scale that across your 20 or 30 or whatever. Uh, Good luck. But uh, yeah, I I think that's really important. I tell my managers, if I'm not sure something will work, I'm going to lean on my best. If I'm pretty sure it'll work, I go to the middle. Right? Yeah, you could because, start with the best to prove it's possible, right. if but I'm then not you want to sure. prove it's scalable because yes. possible and scalable are two different things. Yeah, if it's just this batshit crazy idea, I'm like, mm, okay, let me talk to a couple of my top reps. He's like, could you pull yeah. this off? All right, and yeah. like you test it there. But if I'm like, oh, I, I know this is going to work, then I'm saying, okay, let me pick a couple in the middle, see if we can get the rest and everyone else to do it. I think that's good. So sorry, I took you off track there. I'm going to get back to no, some actually of the that, stuff. But like, that was a great point to add in there because if I missed that, that might have confused people. It actually is a very good idea to start with someone who can prove it works. Um, because if you don't start with someone with that type of attitude, they could just kind of throw it in the trash and you lose that idea that could have worked. Uh, that's also backs up to the same reason why, like, you don't hire one AE when you're starting your company, right? Like, hire yes. two or three. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. so now back to some of the prospecting, right? So you said like that that personal element, being aware, which I think people have forgotten about. Like, just if people are aware of you, you already have a foot mm-hmm. in the door, right? If they recognize the name, if they recognize the brand in any state, it goes yeah. there, right? And so then we go to this next part of okay. So Sam, doing some of those things, right? How do I stand out though when I'm prospecting you? Yeah, I'm writing good personalized emails, but it's buried under the other 30 auto emails you got from all the other sales reps. Like, what are some other ways to kind of build that awareness that I'm not just getting buried with everybody else? Yes, I think it's awareness. And I'm still playing through like the types of words that I want to use to kind of brand, you know, these different pieces. But um, so there's awareness, but then there's also this is where I'm trying to come up with the right word. There's, there's like, I don't know if clout is the word, but you know, it's it's not just like you're aware of them, but you kind of think they're cool, right? Like the, the mm-hmm. you've kind of like, and this is where you take to the next level, right? Think of Drift as a great example, right? Dave Gerhardt made Drift cool, right? Mm-hmm. You get reached out to by someone from Drift, like you're not just like, oh, I know that guy, Devin Reed or, or whoever. You're like, that's a cool brand. Like I've seen some cool stuff from him, kind of have a good vibe, right? And that is so subconscious, but it's enormous. It's mm-hmm. absolutely enormous. And no one's doing enough. Of, well, I shouldn't say no one's doing enough of that. There are companies that are doing plenty of that. Gong's killing it, right? Uh, uh, Drift has obviously done a great job there. And there's a handful of other companies. But if you're able to create some sort of atmosphere or, or vibe you know, to, to your brand, and it doesn't just have to be your company. It could be you as a person, a little bit of both. That stuff helps. But that's a very small detail, right? But I just wanted to say that it's not just the awareness that matters. It's almost... Again, I need a I need the right word for that, but it's creating not just awareness, but this sense of like coolness. And I kind of want to be a part of what's happening there. Right. Again, it's subconscious. That's a great great call out though, because no one like no one's really touching on that, I think, where it is like there's the awareness. But there's a lot of things I'm aware of that I don't like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So just being aware, like I'm aware of you, but I don't like you. Exactly. now it's even worse because now yeah, all bad awareness is not yeah. yeah bad awareness is not good general awareness like neutral awareness is good that's not bad mm-hmm. but it's even better if you can put that vibe where people are kind of like that's cool man like that's just mm-hmm. I want to I want to I want to be a part of that um in some way shape or form and you get that vibe from that drift content right the market that they're targeting likes that they want to wear a drift t-shirt they want to go to a drift event right mm-hmm. and gong is killing it with that stuff as well right um, yeah, so I think those things are important, but then it, it really comes down into the nitty gritty, which is how we're communicating with them, the actual things that we're saying. And this is where I think things have to change drastically, but it has to be genuine. You cannot do what I'm about to say without it actually being genuine. It will not work. Okay. But this ties into playing the long game. All this stuff has to be done together. I think what I've seen work and what has worked on me as a prospect and things that I've even bought or am considering buying at the, at the time, you have to try to build and establish some sort of rapport before you get to the point of pitching anything. And that's the hardest thing in the world, right? And I'm not going to give you the, the, the short path on this call and how to do it, but 
when you can do that, when you've created awareness and that cool awareness, right? More than just, again, I need a, I need a good, come up yeah. with a good word for that. I'm going to think about it. <laughs> yeah. I need something to brand that, but you need that positive awareness. Maybe that's the word, right? Um, and then you need to uh, be able to communicate with them in a very different way because you have to stand out from the sea of sameness. And so anything that you've done in the past, I would just say, stop doing it, right? If you really want to change. And this comes down to, not even putting them in your cadence yet, not even uh, sending that cold message, not making some formal introduction. I think start with the informal things. Now, this is easier for some prospects than others. If they're active on social, you've got a big advantage, right? If they're not, there's other ways. But let's think mm-hmm. about the people who are active on social first because that's the low-hanging fruit, right? You start by interacting with their content. And then what do people say? Well, they don't post. Okay, does their company post? Yeah, all right. Well, you can interact with their content. Does their CEO post? Okay, you can interact with their content, right? You can start building this awareness. And so this is another key detail. If I'm targeting Kevin Dorsey, CFO at uh, Patient Pop, or uh, I don't know why I said CFO, but I'm targeting you. (laughs) I'm targeting you, right? Um, But I know that you work around, obviously, this other circle of executives at Patient Pop. So I want to now, even though I maybe am not going to reach out directly to them when I get to the point of having, you know, checked off these things off the list, uh, but I want to try to create some awareness with those folks because if Kevin happens to just bring it up or whatever. Eventually, if we want Kevin to make a buying decision, he's going to bring it up, right? So let's try to start creating that awareness ahead of time. And this is where uh, it's, it's partnering with marketing would be very helpful if you can do that because they can start to target their IP address. They can start to retarget them. So all of a sudden, like, you're this guy who maybe commented on their Twitter twice, you know, from Patient Pop, and then they're seeing this Patient Pop ad. Like this general awareness of this brand is starting to form over these 90 days or whatever the time period is, right? And so then, if you've made some of these interactions, if you get lucky, they respond to you like, great, right? But I think you want to ease into that because what we're doing today is we're just going straight for the kill. We're going mm-hmm. straight for that email, for that cold call. We're just like, hey, I'm a total stranger and like, I want to get married right now. Here's the ring. click this link, right? But uh, if we can establish some sort of subconscious rapport, and I say it's subconscious because it shouldn't seem like you're doing it for the reason that you're doing it for. It should feel organic. And that's where people are going to have to get creative. And I have ideas, but I think what we're going to see, and part of what I'm pushing in this playbook, I'm going to give examples, tactics, ideas, but what I'm learning, what I'm looking to gain out of this, uh, it's going to be a whole community of students, right? So they'll be in this and we'll be sharing ideas back and forth. So the, the idea is this course will continue to self-improve itself and we'll, we'll figure new things out as we go. But yeah, I think it comes that it, it, to summarize, right? You're playing the long game. You're not just reaching out cold. You're trying to put these leads 90 days or whatnot in advance and have a system and a process for trying to develop uh, a rapport, for trying to get them to understand the awareness. Uh, and if you start to narrow those things down, now when you get to the point of actually reaching out, Hopefully, if you've done this well enough, you're almost in a conversation with them without having to make a formal reach out, right? Because if Mm -hmm. you've kind of gone back and forth on a couple comments on LinkedIn or something, you could almost just shoot them a private message about that comment and the conversation kind of kicks itself off, right? And those are the things that work. And like, yeah, that's it. You have to try to start that conversation organically. So I would say that's sort of the, that's the end goal, right, to doing this so that you're not just having to drop that sequence in. And it doesn't mean you're not going to do that, right? The idea of everything that I'm putting together here is this is something that you can do for 90 days before you do everything you're already doing and see how much it helps, you know? And I, and I love that, man, because it's something where we look at how a lot of people approach an account. And this still just blows my mind is like, you're not even shooting your best shot. Like people are just like shooting the oh, shot. Oh God, no, like, it's the worst it, shot. It's like, wait, like that was your shot? Like that would like, I'm on your list of 50 accounts and this is how you approached me, right? That's something that's just still been so mind boggling to me. And I, I it's lazy. Sure it's that, just that you, laziness. Yeah, because it's I laziness. know for a fact, right? You were, you were a VP of sales at two high growth startups, right? I am a VP there now still. So you probably get cold emails, mm-hmm. probably 15 to 20 a day. You are easy to find. I am easy to find. And the emails that come to me aren't personalized. No, they're all the same. And, 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 and the personalized, what people call personalization these days is not personalization, yeah. first of all. So yeah, customization, personalization. People get this wrong. Customization is to a persona. Personalization is to a 
person, meaning only that person could read that email and it makes sense. I'm going to, I'm going to, I will see if I could take that another step further. I actually think, and this may be an exaggeration. I tend to say things like that when I try to make a point, because you could probably poke holes in this, but I actually think that you can't really personalize something without knowing them personally. I don't think what you just find about someone on the internet is personal. Generally, just generally speaking, right? Like dropping in, Hey, Kevin, I saw you're the VP at patient pop. Like yeah, that's my that's, personalized statement. No, 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 no it's no. not. No. So but hey, like, Kevin, I watched that video and I, and I saw that you have kids and you're doing this, that that's personal. Mm-hmm. So that right? when we, you know, no, we'll go one layer deeper on it, right? Personalized is something that that person has done. Right. So it's not who they are. Right. Me as a VP of sales is not who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. That is my job. Yeah. Personal is like something I wrote, something I said, something I commented on, something I contributed to, something that I built, something like something that me as a person has been involved in. And the fact that I don't get hardly any personalized emails lets me know actually how bad the state of the industry is because I'm mm-hmm. easy to personalize for. Yep. I've got years of content. You have years of content, yeah. right? They don't even use that. So for the people that aren't super active, for the people that aren't out there, I know they're not getting any personalized action whatsoever. Yeah. So, so I'm going to flip the, the topic here one last time as we go through this because um, you made a comment on LinkedIn a while back. And I do want to spend a little bit of time on Are you going to go to manifestation? Hell yes, I am. Let me, let me add one. I was going to add one last point, but now I think I might have just lost it. That's right. Go ahead. If it comes back to me, it'll come back to me. Okay. You, you got me excited with manifestation. So sorry, I totally sorry. lost my point. Like, I, okay. I, I, I looked at the time. I'm like, oh, damn, we've already been going for like 45 minutes. Like we got to at least get to this, right? And Let's so, do it. Yeah. You, you know, the whole, the whole, the topic, right? The name of the podcast is live better, sell better, right? Because I have like this weird idea that if we lived a little bit better, if we took better care of ourselves, if we had more joy and energy and fulfillment in our lives, the sales side would also improve. Right. It's happy and, selling, man. Happy selling. It's been my favorite yeah. hashtag for 10 years. You know, and actually, damn it, I need to say this. We're going to keep going. I, it sucks that smile and dial is now a negative thing. Everyone forgets where smile and dial actually came Is from. it a negative thing? Yes, it do. Not to you me. Wanna, you want to go find out? Go make a post <laughs> about it. Go, go make a post about it. Like, hey, oh, smile geez. and dial, everybody. And just wait for what people say to that. Right. Oh, maybe where, you might have just given me my topic for my next video. Dude, go for it. I'd like, because this, <laughs> the connotation, like smile and dial has turned into this, like it's a negative thing. Like that just means you're being a robot, just smile and uh, dial. Oh, I where, see, I see. Where the premise was like, because when you're smiling, they can hear that and that energy is there, right? And like, if you sound happier on the phone, you are more likely to have a positive impact on the person you're talking to. So anyway, I digress. Can, I, to this can I add a point right there while Hell we're yes. on this? Because I think while you're on that point, people need to stop with this, you can't say this. Don't say that. This means that this is bad. Shut up. Bro. Come on. Like, like the meanings of these words, everyone wants to twist them. This is bro culture. This is that. Like, come on. At the end of the day, like, why are you spending an ounce of energy thinking about what smile and dial means? Why? Right. Because it makes me feel good, Colin. It makes me feel good to tear these things apart. <laughs> it's why. so unproductive to think about these PC terms and like, how should we say this now? What's the correct way to say this in sales? And look, I get it, right? There's certain things we shouldn't do and say, but talking about smile and dial, if that's offending somebody, you're wasting your time. Now, I would I would agree. So anyway, back to this here, right? So this idea about living better and selling better. I can't remember what the original post was, but you made a comment on, you know, manifest, manifest, ah, manifestation, manifestation yeah. you know, some, some quantum physics in there too, about what is reality and what is not. Talk to me a yeah. little bit about this and how you use this in your life and how you think it could impact other people as well. Yeah. So I will start by saying I'm by no means an expert on, on this. Um, very new to it have done a, 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 some light reading, you can say, and some watching some videos. So if I say things wrong or incorrectly, uh, don't hold me to it. But my general understanding of quantum physics was introduced to me by a guy named Charlie Rocket, um, who is a guy who started out, I'll give a, just a quick highlight of who this guy is. So um, guy who came up, you know, just hustler grinder type person uh, who wanted to get into managing rap stars and whatnot. He became this, I forget the guys that he managed and stuff, but they're huge names. And so he did all this. He's a very fat guy, big dude, unhealthy, 
um, had a brain tumor, like had all of everything going wrong in his life. And I watched this podcast on Impulsive. If you want to watch it, this is what introduced me to it. It's the Logan Paul podcast. It was really good. It takes a little bit to pick up. But when you listen to this story, uh, I think you can understand why it resonated with me. So anyway, the concept of it, or, or let me finish his story, right? So he becomes 300 pounds, brain tumor, very wealthy, like he's managing these huge hip hop artists and stuff, but he wasn't happy. Um, and he had this dream to become a Nike athlete. Now, this is a guy who's 305 pounds, really out of shape, like the least athletic person you would probably know, uh, and has a brain tumor. And he says, I'm going to become a Nike athlete. And he starts getting into this whole manifestation thing, yada, yada. Anyway, you listen to the episode. He loses the, the, the hundred some, some odd pounds, becomes a Nike athlete. He's sponsored by Nike, uh, finishes uh, uh, one of those... Uh, those marathon things that uh, the Ironman, I think Iron it's Man. called Ironman, yeah. something like that. He did one of those big, crazy things, right? And he finished it. So anyway, point being, and then he walks you through like how he did this and how, how he made all this stuff happen. It's all manifestation of goals. And so I got fascinated by it, started reading about it, started, started uh, trying to understand it. And so there's part of it that I think is easy to believe in, which is just this concept of like, if you believe you could do something, you can you can do it, right? There's this momentum that gets built with positivity. But when I started to dig into the science behind it, and I'm not a scientist, like I don't really understand half of this, but some of it resonated a little bit and made some sense. And so he talked about this one test that was done. And so the concept here, I'm going to probably tr do a bad job explaining this, but I'm going to try. The idea, I think, of, of, of this quantum physics is that there's actually a connection between humans and, and, and our energy and what actually happens around us and to us. And what that means is that we actually have an impact on, on the things that come back our way, right? Again, I might be not explaining this super clearly, but here's a good example that, that was pretty cool. They had this experiment that was called, um, uh, da, 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 da. it was a DNA experiment that they referred to as, where is it? The phantom DNA experiment. And so what they did is they took this test tube and they put light particles into it. And I don't even know what the hell that means, but light particles, essentially some sort of matter from the world, right? And they put DNA, human DNA into it. And they watched how it reacted. And the light particles like aligned themselves to the DNA. So it actually changed the light particles. The human DNA changed it. The fascinating thing is when they removed the human DNA, it didn't revert back. It was permanently changed. And so what that proves is that humans and our energy actually has an impact on that that is around us. And this stuff, I know to anyone who's listening to this right now, probably like Colin's lost his fucking mind, right? Because <laughs> it really does sound loony and crazy. And maybe it is. But uh, I think there's enough proof in the pudding. And so when I started digging deeper, I said, let me look at some people who really, really believe in this, who have really supported. And there are so many hyper successful people, so many. And then when you look at other people who are hyper successful, what I started to notice is that even the people who are successful, who maybe don't even know about this, they're doing it without knowing it. Right. I, I, I love this. And we could probably do a whole nother like three hours on this because like I'm, it's very similar kind of dabble, kind of yep. read, you hear about it, you hear about it. And then actually started getting more into it from a gentleman named Sam Ovitz, right? He, you know, consulting.com. And he literally like in his course on consulting has like three, four modules, like three hours worth of content on this, right? And talking about- How did how, I do explaining it in comparison to him? Yes, like very, like at the high level, good, right? I'm saying like good. how our energies yeah. do affect the energies and matter makeup. Of other That's all things. I understand of it to this yeah. point. I, I think there's more that there's mm -hmm. a lot more I need to read, but yeah. I put it to the test anyway. And so mm -hmm. before we wrap up here, I'll, I'll just say, I don't know if this was manifestation at its finest, but I, I always have these notebooks and, and I have a couple of them that when I feel like I have something I really want to accomplish now, after having learned this, I write it down. And, and the idea is that you're really bringing it into the world by writing it down. And this is loony, it's crazy, but you're, it's like taking that human DNA and putting it into those light particles. I am bringing it into the world by saying it and writing it, okay? And the first time I did this was after I wrote that LinkedIn post, I said, I wanna get Jason Lemkin on my podcast. I'm gonna figure out how to do it. I swear to you, I can dig up the page somewhere. And I wrote it down and I sent him a cold message. And this was probably my fourth or fifth attempt, you know, over the years to, to get in touch with him. I'd been trying to do something with him for so long. And I finally said, I'm going to test this, this quantum thing. I'm going to write this down. 
And I sent a message to Jason Lemkin. I wake up the next day. It says, let's do it. Here's Love it. Like, yeah. so there's, um, I think the book is called uh, Big, I think it's called Big Magic. Might be wrong. I'll look it up. I'll get it for everybody. But what it talks about um, along these lines is that ideas are energies looking for a conduit. And how most of us, an, an idea comes through and we, we hear it, we hear it, we think of it. But then we let it pass. We don't grab it. We don't take it out of yeah. the earth and put it down to actually make it real. And so that's why so often in life we see something and go, I had that idea. I thought about that. Right. Yes. It, it, yes. Because it was in the energy, it was in the space. Ah, it was, that's it brilliant. Was, it was looking for a conduit. Who was willing to grab it, put it down and start to make it real, right? And so and Sam talks about this in his course too, and then he starts getting into the observed or unobserved, right? How particles change when they are observed versus ah. not. Oh, interesting. It's almost like they know they've been grabbed onto. And this is, this is true. It's been measured, like how particles respond while being observed versus not. And this is when you start getting into like reality versus not. Like if you don't see yeah. it, does it actually exist? Because right. the particles are not being observed. If they are not being observed, we actually don't know how they behave. But then yeah. that's also why grabbing an idea, putting it down, it's now observed. It, it, oh, it that makes behaves. so much sense. I got to so check like, out that book. That sounds like it's the next step for me to, yes. uh, to um, learning more of this. Yeah, I got some resources for you, man. So, so with all this, man, as we wrap up, dude, like where can people get more of you? Where can they find out more about this playbook? Like when is it launching? Like tell them where to go find this when it's real so that you can, you know, help other people grab some of this energy out and make it come yes. to life. Yes. Uh, so go to colincadmus.com. Uh, you can add your email address to get on the list. So you'll be the first person to find out when it launches. Uh, I don't have a launch date yet. And I'll, uh, the reason for that is I'm being extremely anal with perfecting it. Um, but I'm aiming for getting it out probably by the end of the quarter. Um, but it will be an ongoing thing. The idea here is that it's not a playbook that you just buy and then it's done. It's a course that you're joining. Uh, you pay once and, and then you're in for life. Uh, the more people that join, price will go up, right? The, and I'm going to keep adding content to it. So the idea is like, once you're in modern prospecting, like it's there as a resource, it will continue to have updated content and whatnot, but you pay once and, and then you're in. So go to colincadmus.com, add your email, and you'll be the first to, to know when it's ready to go. And I'll probably give anyone on that list, I don't know, maybe, uh, I don't know, I think they're going to get like early access, right? So nobody else can get it until you're on that list. So get on that list. Oh yeah. Well, everybody listening, get on that list, start grabbing the ideas, Grab the energy for us. Put them in the world. Call my man. Long time coming. Glad we finally made it happen. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. Likewise. We'll do it again soon on my pod. Hell yeah, man. Later. Take care.